Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. It is truly a delight to be here this morning and uh, we are very thankful that we had a safe journey here. We, uh, we live in Kitchener, so it was a bit of a, a drive to get here and uh, I was thankful uh, that uh, the visibility was good. The roads were a little icy, but you know, it says in uh, Psalm 121 that I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help comes from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Then it goes on and it says, he will not let your foot slip. Indeed, he who watches over you will not slumber. And I thought, well, I, I didn't run here this morning, but I drove. And I think it, not letting my foot slip also applies to the tires on my car. And so I was very thankful that we were, we were firmly grounded and firmly... Uh, established, shall we say, on the road and had a safe journey here. But we are uh, very thankful, Angie and I, for this opportunity to come and share with you all here at uh, Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church and, um, and look forward to uh, spending this time today and again in a couple weeks uh, where I bring you uh, part two of what you're going to hear this morning. And so Angie and I have uh, just a real quick little Coles Notes uh, kind of version of our history. Um, uh, I grew up attending the East Sora Mennonite uh, Church, out, just outside of Tavistock. Angie grew up in New Hamburg. Uh, we met in high school and, uh, and got married shortly after that. And, and uh, we're attending East Sora Mennonite Church for a number of years until we felt called into church planting in uh, the early 90s, almost 30 years ago. And, uh, and so we launched into that venture. And um, I should also note that for those of you who like to place connections, uh, my parents are uh, Dan and Audrey Wagler. I know that some of you are here are familiar with them. And, uh, and so my mom has a, a brother uh, and his family that live in this area and are part of the conservative Mennonite church. It was Merlin and Irma Bender. And uh, so maybe some of you are aware of, of uh, that family as well. So that's just to know that's part of my Freundschaft. And so... Um, uh, so anyway, so yeah, we, we planted this church, and then we were in ministry with that in Kitchener for a number of years, and then in 2001, we stepped out of ministry, and I began what is uh, now my, my, still my current full-time job, which is a, a city bus driver in Kitchener for Grand River Transit, uh, coming up on 21 years doing that, and uh, we entered into our, our, uh, a long wilderness season in our life. Uh, when we stepped out of ministry and uh, we began to do ministry in a variety of different ways uh, doing some house church and uh, meeting in in um, in small groups and and uh, trying to be faithful with the call that God had on our lives and it was in 2015 where we uh, we began what we're functioning with now which is a ministry called Arise Now. Now Arise Now has um, has several facets to it. We do what we do this morning, which is where we go as itinerant speakers to uh, places we're invited. We love to uh, share God's word. Sometimes we do that individually. I speak or Angie speaks. Sometimes we do that as a team. 
And uh, we also uh, have an opportunity to be weekly guests on a radio show in Brantford. We, uh, we uh, put out videos through social media, uh, through our uh, Rise Now Facebook page or our Rise Now YouTube channel, short little two-minute videos that we call two-minute wake-up calls. And uh, we also have written books. And, uh, and so we have our books on display in the back foyer you can check out later. But I've written three books that are uh, just simple stories of everyday life. There's uh, three in a series. It's called Lessons Learned on the Seat of My Bus, stories from my life as a city bus driver. I've been an avid mountain biker and done uh, over 200 mountain bike races over the years. And, uh, and so I've written a book called, guess what? Lessons Learned on the Seat of My Bike. Before I was a bus driver, I was a truck driver. And so now you can guess what the title of the third book is. Lessons Learned on the Seat of My Truck. I liken these, these books to a modern day parables. It's taking everyday stories like what Jesus did when he spoke. Uh, and I think that if there were trucks, bikes, and buses in those times, Jesus might have said, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out to drive his bus or ride his bicycle and so on and so forth. And so they're, they're simple stories that we can learn from uh, spiritual, some spiritual lessons from in everyday life. And, and it would be a, in hopes that it would encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. Angie's written a book called All My Rooms, which comes from a, a, the input she gave at a ladies' retreat, which is an invitation to invite Jesus into every part of our lives, likening uh, our beings to a house and all the different rooms. And it's really a journey with Jesus, and it is a powerful book that has brought some incredible transformation to people that have, have worked through it and walked uh, with Jesus into every room. So we invite you to check that out if you're interested. The other thing that we've added to what we do is when COVID started uh, two years ago, uh, today actually, uh, we were supposed to go somewhere to speak that Sunday and the Saturday before, the day before, we got the word that the service wasn't going to happen. So we were at home and we're like, well, we've always wanted to do these live broadcasts from our home, so why don't we start today? And so we did. Two years ago, I think it was March the 15th, 2020, we began uh, what we've continued every Sunday since. Uh, today is Sunday number 105 of Sunday Morning with Paul and Angie. And so while we are here in this place, we are actually on Facebook as well. So I am, we are literally in two places at once. Now, sometimes we're live on Facebook and sometimes we have it pre-recorded so it sort of looks like it's live. But uh, we have been really blessed with that opportunity to put the Word of God out in simple ways through the technology that's available to us. And uh, we have been so grateful for that. Our goal is, is that we can build an online community of people who are hungry for more of Jesus and want to know him, and we want to encourage them and bless them to that end. And so, so that's a little bit about, uh, about us, a little bit of introduction, uh, so you have an idea of who we are and uh, where we have come from. And, um, and so today, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn into uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm going to share today uh, what is part one of a message that I've entitled, The Trust Structures of the Heart. Okay, and so, so in Proverbs chapter 3, we have some verses that maybe are, are familiar. We were even uh, uh, singing part of uh, these verses in uh, one of the songs this morning. And by the way, worship team, thank you so much 
for that beautiful time of worship this morning. I just sense the, the desire and the hunger for God in this place as you worship him. And, and, and when that happens, we know that God will come and he will fill. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled is a promise from scripture. And so may that be your portion here in this place, that the filling would come and increase, increase more and more in each one of you as you desire more of God. In Proverbs chapter three, I really love uh, all uh, the first 10 verses in Proverbs chapter three. And I was debating about kind of going over all of them just because I find that to be such a beautiful section of Scripture. But I don't want to take the time to read all of those this morning, but I really want to encourage you on your own to, uh, to read over those first 10 verses in Proverbs chapter 3. They they're, uh, just have so many wonderful, uh, encouraging uh, truths in them. But we're going to pick it up in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So if I ask the question this morning in this place, do you trust in the Lord? Do you trust in God? I would suspect that, that in, a, in a setting like this, that probably most, if not all of us, would say, well, well yes, we trust in God. And then if we took it one step further, which it says in that verse, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Would it, if I said, do you trust in God with your whole heart? Well, you, we probably would say, well, well, most of the time, or I try to, or I want to. And so there is that desire, there is that essential part of our relationship. In fact, we wouldn't have a relationship with God if there wasn't some level of trust. Because that's what brought us there in the first place. And I loved hearing your story, sir, about, about how you came to Jesus as a young boy and, and just the blessing of that. And, and, and my, my journey was similar. I was a young fellow as well. And I was just uh, overwhelmed with my need for God. And, I, and it's in those moments where we realize that we can't save ourselves, we need a Savior, and so we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior. And that's where the journey begins, and it just goes on from there. And as I began thinking around this whole idea of trusting in the Lord, I realized that, that uh, that's really the story of Scripture. We can look at every single character in the Bible that we know any kind of detail about and realize that their journey was a journey to learn to trust in God. Started with Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, God gave them some instructions and then the, the serpent comes along and begins to test them. Are you going to trust what God said to be true or are you going to think that maybe it wasn't quite right? And we can look at Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and, and Gideon and, and Joshua and, and, and David and on and on the stories go of people in the scripture who were, had to learn how to trust in God. And the, old, the encouraging part for us as humans who realize that in the midst of our journeys that we mess up, we fail, we, we can be encouraged as we read the scripture and realize that every single one of them failed at some point along the way in their journey of trust. And there's only one person in scripture who got it right all the time. And that was Jesus. 
But yet we realize from the words that we have in the Gospels that there was, there was struggles, there was, there was tensions, and there was, there was a, a, a journey of learning to trust for him as well. Because even right at the end, he was praying and in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's like, if this cup can be taken from me, please take it from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he entrusted himself fully to his Father. And gave us a model of what that looks like. So as we begin to think about this idea of trusting in the Lord, how do we know? We can say, we can speak it out with our mouth. Yes, I trust in the Lord. Yes, yeah, I do it with my whole heart. But how do we know? You know, I was, I was thinking if, if uh, the car never breaks down, if my uh, bank account always has excess uh, surplus of money, if my relationship with my wife is always good and we never have an argument, if the children always do exactly what I ask them to do, if I'm always healthy and there's never a disease or sickness or broken bone in my body. In those moments, it's easy to trust in the Lord. But yet it's not in those moments that we really know if we trust in the Lord with our whole heart. It's in the difficulties, it's in the trials, it's in the, it's in the temptations, it's in the adversities of life. It's when James writes in James chapter 1, verse 2, and you know, if this is your morning devotion some morning, Early in the morning, you're, you're uh, you know, a little foggy in the, in the mind, maybe, and, and maybe you had a, a, a disagreement with your spouse the night before, and, and maybe your car broke down the day before, and maybe you got a bigger bill in the mail than uh, what you were expecting, and it's, it's more than what you have in your bank account, and you get up in the morning, and you, the reading for that day is from James, and it starts off in James chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trial of many kinds and we'd be like hello <laughs> I am to consider this pure joy that is not my idea of joy my idea of joy is when exactly the opposite of those things is happening But he goes on, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many, times, be, many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you and I can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, the end of that sounds really good. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. We want that end, but the means to get there is a process and it involves some difficulties and it's in the midst of those difficulties that we see where our hearts are at are we trusting the lord with our whole heart are we leaning on our own understanding proverbs 17 verse 3 says the crucible for silver the furnace for gold but it is the lord that tests the heart the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but it is the Lord that tests the heart. What happens in the crucible for the silver or the furnace for gold? Well, the heat is turned up. And what happens when the heat's turned up? The impurities in the, in the metals rises to the surface. When the heat is turned up in your life and in my life, what's inside of us, the good and the bad, <laughs> It comes to the surface. 
And it is a gift. I am learning and seeking to embrace my trials, embrace my tests. You know, when we're in school, we, we study and we learn, and then at the end of a, a, a session or a semester or a term, whatever you want to call it, there's a test, there's an exam. And in that kind of a setting, it's, 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 it's tested whether you can reproduce uh, in, on a paper generally uh, the knowledge that you have gained. But the test that God's put us through is not just something so that we can verbalize and say the right things, but so that we can live them out and it flows from a heart that has been transformed where the impurities have risen to the surface and they can be skimmed off. It is the Lord that tests the heart. These last two years have been a a major time of testing for not just the church, but for the society as a whole. And in the midst of, of all that has happened, it has been a time where what's in our heart has been revealed. Now, my wife Angie has always received lots of compliments about her hair from right when, since I've known her as a teenager, just always a a big full head of hair that people just were like, oh, I love your hair. Her hair has, uh, when I first started dating Angie, her hair was, I always thought it was black, but I'm not real good with colors, so I was told it's brunette, okay? So I, I just don't get my colors very good. I'm told that's a guy thing. Um, so it was brunette. And then over time, it became a little blonder and then a little blonder. And it was to deal with an issue that is now fully revealed. <laughs> and two years ago, when, when all the hairdressers were shut down, and there, Angie couldn't go to a hairdresser anymore for quite some time, and she was always wondering, when is the time that is going to happen that I'm going to just let it go? Well, it happened. And so, so she was going regularly for uh, uh, coloring that was touching up her roots. And, and, uh, and so then it didn't happen. And all of a sudden, the, the white started showing down the middle. And then it started getting bigger. She called it the, the skunk effect, right? <laughs> but as soon on, uh, early on into COVID, as that was happening, Angie uh, declared, I think on one of our Sunday morning programs, that her hair is a prophetic picture of what is happening in reality, and that is that things are being revealed. Things are being revealed, and it happens in times of testing. What's in our heart comes out, and we want to pay attention to that, and by embracing the testing, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. As I've been pondering this whole uh, idea of, um, of trusting, I came across uh, a book by Robert Mulholland called Invitation to a Journey. It's a book about spiritual formation. I'd highly recommend uh, the, the book if you're interested in, in, that, in checking that out. But in this book, he talks, uh, he uses the phrase, trust structures of the heart. 
And it comes in, in this section where he's talking about the different uh, four stages of spiritual formation. And I don't have time this morning to go, to go into what all those are. But in the one stage, it's called purgation. And it's, it's uh, stage number two. And it's, it's the stage of spiritual formation where we begin to deal with the sins and the actions, the behaviors in our life that need to be changed. And in this, uh, in this section, uh, Mulholland describes four levels of sin. And real quickly, he just describes the first one is, is what uh, is commonly referred to as gross sins. That is the really obvious ones, the sins that, that probably you were aware that needed to be changed even before you became a follower of Jesus. Things like murder, adultery, lying, uh, you know, some of those kinds of things that are just really obvious. So that's number one. Number two is conscious sins or deliberate sins. Sins that are socially acceptable, but something that the scripture clearly tells us isn't. Okay? Uh, so it could be something like, um, like, like gluttony or, uh, or uh, gossip. Uh, you know, um, maybe white lies, things that aren't quite as obvious. But nonetheless, they're deliberate actions on our part. It could be related to some of the sexual norms in our society that are very contrary to what Scripture says. And the third level is what he refers to as unconscious sins or sins of omission. It's, it's more about the attitudes and the, the motives, sins of motivation or sins that, uh, of, of, um, of omission, things that we didn't do instead of what we should have done. And then the fourth and the deepest level of sin is what he refers to as trust structures of the heart. And what does he mean by that? Well, he means by, by trust structures of the heart, he defines it as it's a, it's a deep inner posture of our being that does not trust in God but relies on self for our own well-being. Another way he puts it is, is that it's deep-rooted attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which all of our behaviors flow. And so as I began to ponder this, something really resonated in me about this whole idea of trust structures of the heart. And as I meditated on it, I realized that there, there are these things within me. And this is such a helpful, I found it to be such a helpful way to, to understand what is going on in my heart. And what I'm going to do here in the remaining time this morning, and then in part two in two weeks, is we're going to begin to look at four different uh, trust structures of the heart. And I invite you into this journey with me, so that the Holy Spirit can be at work in our hearts and bring to light the things that we need to see uh, about what is going on within us and where our trust really is, so that it truly can be that we trust in the Lord with our whole heart. So I'm going to tell you right now what the four of them are, uh, you, so you can be thinking about them, even though two of them, um, well, hopefully we'll get through two of them yet today. The first one is traditions. The second one is theology. The third one is thinking. And the fourth one is our talents. So let's start with traditions. What are traditions? Traditions are customary manners or practice. They're ways of doing things. We all have traditions. They're very similar to habits. Habits are patterns of behavior that are acquired through frequent repetition, and we often don't even think about them. 
So traditions and habits are very, very similar. Often, though, we think of traditions more in a, in a, in a bigger setting than individually. Although I think individually, I think we may still want to say that we have some traditions. But as a church, you have traditions. As families, we have traditions. And it's things that have helped provide a form and a structure. And we, we need to have these kinds of things. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he, uh, he spent a lot of time uh, uh, dealing with the fact that he didn't fit the traditional model that was being functioned in the, in the society in which he came to. He was breaking the traditions, and, and he was butting heads with, with the religious leaders constantly over the fact that he wasn't uh, be, being and acting like everybody else. You know, Jesus talked to women in public, which was not, a, not what was acceptable. He, they, they gave him a hard time because uh, they were eating with unwashed hands. They were threshing grain on the Sabbath so they could have some food to eat. So they broke the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. He touched the leper who was unclean. And on and on it, it goes of the traditions that Jesus break, broke. And in, in Matthew chapter 15, the, the leaders came to Jesus and they were like, why are your disciples, you and your disciples eating with unwashed hands and breaking the tradition of the elders? And Jesus says, why do you break the tradition or the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? Why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your traditions? It's interesting to ponder. Are we guilty of that? Traditions give us a form. They give us a, a, a structure, which is something we need. But the problem is when it becomes something in our hearts above God, and that keeps us from actually trusting in him. We move our trust into the traditions. Paul writes in, um, in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 15, he's encouraging the people that he's writing to. He says, he says I, want, I want to encourage you to hold on to the traditions that we gave you. And then in Pro, uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions, and the basic principles of this world. So on one hand, Paul is saying, hold on to the traditions we gave you. And on the other hand, he's saying, the, the, the human traditions are uh, giving you a hollow and deceptive philosophy. So which is it? I want to say it's both. Because it's not about uh, the tradition. It's about what it has, uh, the, the, the place in our heart that we give it. I remember a time uh, a number of years ago when we were invited to speak at a church and, and the worship leader sang uh, this, uh, led in this certain song and it was just, that you could just feel the presence of the Lord in a powerful way in that moment. And, and I was like, wow, this was just a really special moment. And then some years later, I was invited back to that church and the same person was leading worship and I had an opportunity to chat with them before and I said, you know, could we do that song again? Because I was thinking, wow, it was so great that time. It will be great again. Guess what? It wasn't. 
And I realized I was putting my trust in the form, not in the God who we were worshiping. It's interesting because in, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verses 12 and 15, it talks about how when God appeared to the children of Israel, that he didn't appear in a way that they could see him. They saw no form. And you th let's ponder that. Why, when God appeared to them, could they not see him? And God knew that if they could see him, that then when, they, when he wasn't there to be seen, they were going to create an image that looked like what they saw so that they could worship that image instead of worshiping the God who spoke to them. And we have that same tendency. And that's the issue with these trust structures of the heart. When these things become in our hearts something that they were not intended to be, we are breaking the first commandment. The first commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 7, you shall have no other gods before me. God wants our trust to be in him and in him alone, that we will trust him with our whole heart. When COVID started, uh, the, the, and, and all the things that have gone on in these last two years, I said, and I'd heard many people say it, and probably many of you have said it, I just want to go back to the way things were. And I want to invite you to ponder this. You can think of it individually as your family or, or corporately as a church family. If we think back to the way things were before COVID hit two years ago, and the way we functioned, and, and the way we worshipped God, and, and all of the traditions that we had. Was that the best that it possibly could be? And if our answer to that is no, then I want to encourage us to hold that thought very lightly about, let's just go back to the way things were. And let's truly be open in our hearts, individually and corporately as a church family, to what God wants to do. It is a testing time where what's in our heart has been coming to the surface, and it's in those times that God wants to skim off all of that stuff that keeps us from trusting fully in Him, and He wants to lead us into new things. And if we're only hanging on to that which is behind us, the past, where it says in um, Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, it says, Do not... For, do not remember the past. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on them. See, I am doing a new thing. If we always want what we just had, we will miss the new thing that God wants to do. The traditional or the trust structure of traditions can hold us back if we let them have a place in our heart that they were not intended to have. And then we want to look in these last few moments at the second trust structure that I call theology. What is theology? Well, theology is a study of God. And it's our belief systems. And it's a very important part of our journey as a Christian and, and as a church family. That we have good theology because it keeps us uh, on the right path.
But sometimes in the midst of it, theology can become a thing that we trust in that it sounds weird, but actually keeps us from trusting in God. Let me give you some scriptural examples. Jesus came into a society that was desperately longing for the Messiah to come. For several hundred years, the, the, the children of Israel, uh, they had come back to the homeland, uh, and, but, and they were living there in, the, in Israel, but they were not governing themselves. And at the time that Jesus came, the Romans were in charge. And, and there was all these prophecies in the Old Testament that the people, uh, that, which was their scripture at that point, that these people had known that there was going to be somebody sent from God, this Messiah, and he was going to come, and he was going to rule, and he was going to reign, and he was going to deliver them. They read scriptures like in Isaiah chapter 9 that talk about, um, uh, and we quote these often at, at Christmas time, about the, the, uh, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I think that's Isaiah 9, verses 5 or 6. And you know, as I thought about it, I thought, and I think I'm guilty of this, is that I interpret scriptures in a way that, that, that I think they should be fulfilled according to my perceived need of what needs to happen. And so, so at that time, they thought that the biggest need they had was to be delivered from the Roman rule and to have the political kingdom be established once again in the nation of Israel. And so their, their understanding was the Messiah was going to come as a conquering king, and Jesus came as a suffering servant. And they just could not get past this. So here you have these people that are longing and hoping and praying and, and waiting expectantly for a Messiah, and he shows up in their midst, but their theology has kept them from actually receiving what God brought right into their setting. I find that troubling because if it happened to them, it can happen to us. Interesting, in this whole thing, as you look at the, the, the journey of that time, at the end of Matthew chapter 2, we have a reference to two interesting people. One of them is Simeon, and the other one is Anna. And I would encourage you to read, I forget the exact references there of their, their story, but towards the end of Matthew 2, I'd encourage you just to read that, that section. But Simeon and Anna were, were older people who had been waiting a long time for the Messiah to come. And they were, they were full of the Holy Spirit. They communed. They had a good relationship with God. They somehow, they somehow were able to recognize Jesus in infant form as the Messiah and acknowledge that this was the gift that they had been waiting for. I think it's Simeon who says, Now I can depart in peace, for I have seen the salvation. Luke 2. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> Luke 2, not Matthew 2. And, and so it's an interesting contrast of Simeon and Anna compared to the people who saw Jesus as a full-grown man living out the call of his life to bring the kingdom of God. 
and they missed it because their theology kept them from seeing what was right in front of them. Wow. I find that sobering. And I want to guard my heart so that theology doesn't take that place in me. There's a part of theology that we refer to as eschatology. There, you know, theology has, well, there's multiple parts, but I'll just break it down into two parts real simply. There's that which has happened. You know, God created the world. Jesus came. He died on the cross. Uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But the eschatology is, is refers to the doctrine of end things. It's referring to, like, like heaven, judgment, uh, uh, the end of the world, Jesus' second coming, all of those kinds of things. And I have realized that the effect that of my theology, my eschatology has had on my life in a negative way. And I'm just going to real quickly share a story with you. It goes back into my uh, teenage years. I was 18 years old in 1983, so you can do the math if you're good at it and figure out how old I am. And, and I, I was given uh, access to a series of cassette tapes, and it was about biblical prophecy. And it, was, uh, it captivated me. I was, I was just, I consumed this stuff. I was like really interested in it. And, uh, and I, so much so that I remember this distinctly. This is really, maybe seems like an odd memory, but I, I grew up on a farm and I was hauling manure. And, and I remember having, putting batteries in the cassette player. We didn't have Walkmans or any, you know, any kind of thing back then. I put batteries in this big cassette player, took it out in the tractor with me so that I could listen to these tapes. That's how, how much it had captivated me. And this guy who was teaching, he said, Jesus said, you don't, we can't know the day or the hour, but he said, that doesn't mean we can't know the year, month, and week. And he gave a, an incredible, compelling argument about the year, month, and week. It was going to happen in 1988 in September in the third week. And it all made sense, and he was using Scripture. And there was a book written at that time called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And there were people that bought into this in a full way. Thankfully, I wasn't at, to that extent, but, but it was affecting me. There were people that sold everything, and, and they, they just went out and waited. And we have seen this happen time and time again throughout history. I found this list on, on, on the internet of, of, a, of a list throughout the centuries since the time of Jesus of the ways Christians have declared the end of the world is going to happen at this time or this time or this time. And it's not new. It has happened all throughout the centuries. And there is something about the end and the judgment and all of that that, that captivates us. And we, we begin to develop a, a trust in our eschatology. This affected me greatly so that I was like, well, I, I'm not sure I'm even going to get married. And if I do, I surely won't be having kids. And I remember specifically at a youth retreat, uh, we were at Point, Farm, uh, Point Farms in Godrich, and, and I was sitting out on a picnic table talking with one of the other uh, uh, um, persons in the youth retreat, and, and I, I was saying, well, I just, I can't, I feel this call to ministry, but I can't go to Bible college. There's not enough time. And now I think, like, wow, what poor choices I made because of my eschatology. And I have seen this effect on other people where they have actually made poor business decisions 
because of an eschatology that, that, it, that I think isn't right, but it, it's, they put it in the, the, the wrong place in their heart. They put it ahead of God. Let's be aware of this. And I don't, we don't have time this morning to go into different kinds of eschatology, but I just want to say this, is that whatever our eschatology is, whatever your theology is about how things are going to unfold in the coming days, months and years ahead, we need to not be short-sighted in our thinking, but still have long-term planning. Jesus gave this parable in Luke chapter 19 uh, about, it's called the parable of the minas. And it, it talks about how a man of noble birth went to a foreign country to appoint himself king and then he returned and in that process before he returned he, he talked to, gathered 10 of his servants and he gave them minas. And then he says in Matthew, or sorry, in Luke 19 verse 13 he says, he says, put this money to work until I return. Some translations say, occupy until I come back. Or another way of saying it is, carry on business as usual until I come back. And I think that is some of the best advice that I could ever receive in my heart and, and I could give to you. Is that whatever our eschatology is, whatever our theology is, that we be about the business of the kingdom preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, going out and making disciples of all nations. And we have long-term planning and thinking to do it. And in the midst of it, we, we have this relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit that when he comes back, we are just going to be delighted if it's while we are still physically alive here on this earth. But theology can become a trust structure in our heart that can actually keep us from trusting the very God that the theology is about. I invite you into this, this journey with the Holy Spirit of allowing him to test our hearts and seeing what rises to the surface. What are the deep inner postures in your being that cause you not to trust on God, but to trust in yourself for your own well-being? Is there traditions that have taken a place that they're not meant to have? And is there some theology that has kind of risen above the very God that the theology is about. And may the Holy Spirit bring to your mind and to mine just exactly what we need that can bring us life so that we truly can declare, as it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that we trust in the Lord with our whole heart. We lean not on our own understanding, in all of our ways, we choose to acknowledge you, God, so that you can direct our paths. Amen. Amen. So God bless you all. Look forward to coming back again in two weeks. And uh, I invite you to ponder uh, 
the other two that we're going to talk about in two weeks. Um, what are they again? Oh, talents and uh, thinking. Yes. Oh, some really good things to say on that from my own life and from the scripture. So, so God bless you. Thanks again for the opportunity to be here with you, and I'll turn it back to the worship team.